Hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, now that my mic is on, welcome to order. Uh, today, the committee will consider the nominations of three experienced career foreign service officers to be U.S. ambassadors to Chad, the African Union, and Burundi. I was happy to meet uh, each of the nominees in my office uh, earlier. I appreciate uh, uh, their appreciation of the challenges ahead and their willingness uh, to undertake this. Uh, Chad remains uh, an important partner on a number of fronts, uh, especially in the efforts against Boko Haram. Popular protests in the run-up to recent elections and economic stress due in part to low global oil prices highlight internal problems, and the government will need to grapple uh, with these in the months and years to come. The African Union uh, plays an important role in promoting peace, good governance, and economic development on the continent. As uh, Senator Markey mentioned, uh, we were able to visit that body uh, earlier this year, or last year, with uh, President Obama. Uh, managing our relationship with the AU will continue to be a vital part of our regional engagement. <coughs> Finally, uh, since last year, Burundi's escalating violence and instability has made for a complex situation that will require sustained attention, careful handling by our next ambassador, uh, who will face many challenges in uh, pursuing U.S. objectives. I thank each of you for your time and uh, sharing your experience and expertise with us here. Um, I want to pass along our, our thanks uh, to your family. I'm sure you'll want to introduce family members who are here, particularly with these assignments. Uh, I know often it's a, a great sacrifice uh, to yourself and your, your families um, to, for, for you to be able to serve, and uh, it's very much appreciated with that. Senator Markey, do you have any comments? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. Um, the three nominees we have here today are highly accomplished Foreign Service officers who have dedicated their lives to the service of our country, sometimes in difficult places and away from loved ones. They understand that America needs to be out there in tough places working for our country and our partners for the mutual benefit of our governments and our people, and for that we are very grateful. Countries in sub-Saharan Africa have tremendous promise and potential. Unfortunately, some of these countries are doing better at realizing this potential than others. If confirmed, two of the three nominees, the nominee for Ambassador to Burundi, Ms. Ann Casper, and the nominee for Ambassador to Chad, Ambassador Gita Pasi, will face the difficult task of urging the leaders of those countries away from violence, instability, and corruption and towards democracy good governance and accountability. The third is Ambassador Mary Beth Leonard, who I am proud to note is a fellow native of Massachusetts and a graduate of Doherty High School in Worcester, Massachusetts. Her task uh, as a representative to the African Union will be to lead our efforts to help strengthen that organization's ability to make Africa a more peaceful, stable, and prosperous place. Accomplishing those goals means working with African governments and regional bodies to make sure that there is democratic space that allows for free expression and nonviolent dissent. Um, your three wonderful candidates, we welcome you here today. I thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Markey. Uh, we'll now turn to the nominees. Uh, Ms. Gita Posse uh, recently served as director of the Office of Career Development and, assignment, uh, and Assignments in the state's Bureau of Human Resources. Previous uh, positions included ambassadorship to Djibouti, uh, director of the Office of East African Affairs and postings in Cameroon and Ghana. Second nominee, uh, Mary Beth Leonard, career foreign service member uh, and uh, of the Department of State uh, faculty advisors with the U.S. Naval War College. 
Previously, she served as U.S. Ambassador to Mali, Director of the Office of West African Affairs. She's also held positions in South Africa, Cameroon, Namibia, and Togo. And see that say is the unique one here, but Afrikaans can prat. On sal hedi vergadering in Afrikaans say, nee. Last but not. Now I just said since she's the only one here that speaks Afrikaans, we'll have this meeting in Afrikaans. Last but not least, Anne Casper currently serves as senior advisor in the Center for Strategic Counterterrorism Partnership for the State Department's Global Engagement Center. Previous postings included Saudi Arabia, Rwanda, Albania, and Syria. A highly accomplished group here. Um, we, uh, again, thank you for, for your willingness to serve uh, Ms. Posse. Good afternoon, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee. It's an honor for me to appear before you today as President Obama's nominee to be ambassador to the Republic of Chad. I'm grateful to the President and to Secretary Kerry for the confidence they have placed in me. First, Mr. Chairman, please permit me to acknowledge family members here today. My sisters Usha and Rita and my niece Menika have joined me this afternoon. Mr. Chairman, please allow me to tell you a bit about myself. My career has included challenging assignments around the world and at home. I've served in Africa three times, as you noted, including um, as ambassador to Djibouti. In Washington, I've served in numerous positions, including as the Afghanistan desk officer, where I was working on September 11th, 2001. And I'm proud to be in the Bureau of Human Resources. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I look forward to leading Embassy Jemena in advancing U.S. interests with our foreign and civil service personnel, military staff, and local employees. Our main interests in Chad are peace and security, good governance, human rights, and economic development. Chad shares borders with Libya, Sudan, the Central African Republic, Nigeria, Cameroon, and Niger. Chad is an important partner in the fight against violent extremist groups, including Boko Haram. The United States aims to strengthen the productive partnership we enjoy with Chad. As we advance our mutual interests on the security front, we also seek to promote democracy and good governance. If confirmed, I will work with you to represent the interests and values of the American people to the government and people of Chad at a moment when Chad's partnership with the United States and our allies is on the ascendancy. Mr. Chairman, regional threats and instability have contributed to domestic challenges in Chad, including by threatening key trade routes and markets. This has weakened Chad's economy, which has already been impacted by a decline of oil prices globally. International investment in Chad is severely constrained by its geographic isolation, limited infrastructure, human capital challenges, high import duties, and corruption. Chad's human rights record is problematic, although there has been some improvement. If confirmed, I will continue to press the government of Chad on democracy and human rights. Chad is host to over 380,000 refugees from Sudan, Nigeria, and the Central African Republic, and approximately 100,000 internally displaced persons, largely in the Lake Chad region. Ongoing insecurity related to Boko Haram has resulted in decreased food production, reduced market activity, and complicated the delivery of humanitarian assistance. As a result, over 100,000 people are food insecure. Internally displaced persons and refugees lack access to 
food, shelter, and sanitation, and their huge numbers have taxed Chad's limited infrastructure. If confirmed, Mr. Chairman, I will remain focused on using all elements of the USG to support Chad in its efforts to counter the threat of Boko Haram, including closely monitoring Boko Haram's linkages to ISIL under its new name, ISIL West Africa Province. I will encourage the government of Chad to focus not only on the immediate security threat, but also the root causes of violence in the region. Finally, Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, my highest priority will be the protection of mission personnel, as well as all Americans living and traveling in Chad and American business interests. Within the next year, the mission will move to a newly constructed embassy compound, meaning that all mission personnel will work in the safest and most secure facilities available. Maintaining this technologically advanced building in Chad will be a challenge, and I am committed to good stewardship of this significant USG investment. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I would like to thank you for the privilege of appearing before you today. If confirmed, I would welcome the challenge of protecting and advancing the interests of the United States in Chad. It is a duty and responsibility I would be honored to, ac to accept. Thank you, and I would welcome any questions you might have. Thank you for being here. Your family members know no more about uh, African sanctions than they wanted to know, probably. <laughs> but thank you for being here as well. Ms. Leonard. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Markey, it is a great honor to appear before you today as the nominee to serve as the U.S. Ambassador to the African Union and as the U.S. Representative to the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa. I joined the Foreign Service 28 years ago, nearly to this day, in the same class as today's co-panelist Gita Passi, I might add, uh, with a newly minted master's degree in African studies. I remember vividly my excitement that the State Department would agree to send me to live and work in Africa. Sitting here today after six tours in Africa and two domestic Africa-related tours, my excitement is equally palpable as I contemplate the prospect that, if confirmed, I will marshal those professional experiences in directing U.S. relations with the African Union. These experiences culminated with the honor of serving as ambassador in Mali, where the U.S. mission was at the forefront of a closely coordinated multilateral effort to support that country in emerging from a multidimensional security and governance crisis. I am deeply grateful for the trust and confidence that the President and Secretary Kerry have shown in me with this nomination, and if confirmed, I look forward to working closely with the members of the committee and your staffs to promote and protect U.S. interests across Africa by strengthening and expanding our ties with the continent's premier multilateral institution. I am pleased to welcome family members who are with me today, including my sister, Anne-Marie Stoika, and niece, Marianne Manning, as well as my cousin, Brian Johnson. Nothing I could say today would underscore the importance of our relationship with the African Union more than President Obama did by his historic visit to Addis Ababa last July. As the first U.S. President to visit the AU, President Obama delivered a strong message on our commitment to Africa. This is a relationship rooted in shared goals, which are reflected in President Obama's 2012 policy directive for Sub-Saharan Africa and the AU's constitutive act, i.e. their founding document. Peace and security, democracy and governments, opportunity and development, and economic growth, trade, and investment. If confirmed, I look forward to strengthening our close collaboration in all four areas. U.S. resource contributions to AU peace and security efforts have included both cap capacity building and operational support. Capacity building has assisted with AU peacekeeping and conflict early warning work, and operational support has included equipment, training, and logistics planning. 
The AU and its member states have made substantial progress in being able to step up to their security challenges, but additional work is needed included in counterterrorism and maritime security. The realization that international largesse is not without its limits has led to discussions about new partnerships to provide both more reliable support and greater financial responsibility from the AU and its member states in UN-authorized peace operations in Africa. If confirmed, I would look forward to next steps as we work together with the AU, the UN, and others in the international community to bring new proposals to fruition. The United States and the AU share a commitment to democratic principles, including free and fair elections, peaceful transitions of power, and sound governance. More broadly, we look to the AU as a respected voice on the continent that builds consensus on African issues among member states and stakeholders. I will continue this dialogue if I am confirmed, including frank discussions about how to address situations where democracy and governance are falling short. As President Obama made clear during his AU visit last year, the United States does not believe that governments should change their constitutions to benefit the incumbent in power. Our, our diplomatic efforts to resolve or prevent such crises are multifaceted and indeed multilateral. The African Union has been and will continue to be important partners in this regard. On the development front, the AU's Agenda 2063, in the words of AU Commission Chairperson Dr. Lamanizuma, encapsulates the aspirations of Africa's people for themselves and for their continent. From PEPFAR to the President's Power Africa initiative, the United States has been at the forefront of helping Africa and Africans realize those aspirations. We need to help Africans build sustainable livelihoods and better opportunities, particularly for this continent's strikingly young population. Congress's 2015 renewal of the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act for another 10 years will enable more African entrepreneurs and exporters to build their businesses via stronger and more open trade relationships with the United States, another area I look forward to supporting if confirmed. Mr. Chairman, Bayadanki, and I thank both members uh, for the opportunity to appear before you and, the, and look forward to your questions. Thank you, Ms. Casper. Chairman Flake, Ranking Member Markey, it is an honor to appear before you today as President Obama's nominee to be the U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Burundi. I am extremely grateful to the President and Secretary Kerry for their confidence in me. If confirmed, I will work closely with this committee and other interested members of Congress to advance U.S. interests in Burundi and help Burundians achieve the bright future they deserve. Accompanying me here today is my husband, Carl Derringer, who has served in U.S. missions overseas as a nurse and in 2012 won the of, Secretary of State's Award for Volunteerism in Africa. I would also like to mention my mother, Eileen Casper, who taught me the value of education, my brother, Larry, an assistant U.S. attorney, and my late father, Charles Casper, a self-made man and proud veteran who modeled service to our country and a father who pushed his daughter to follow her dreams. Mr. Chairman, Burundi has been a friend of the United States since its founding as a republic in 1962. Roughly the size of New Hampshire and located in the heart of Africa, Burundi is home to 10 million citizens. After decades of ethnic conflict, political violence, one-party rule, and a civil war that killed over 300,000 people, the signing of the Arusha Agreement in 2000 established a framework for peaceful political competition and ushered in a decade of hope. However, events over the past year have led Burundi away from the spirit and promise of Arusha. 
since April 2015, when the Burundi government signaled its intent to disregard term limits in violation of the Arusha Agreement, over 400 people have been killed and 260,000 have fled to neighboring countries. Targeted violence, assassinations, sexual and gender-based violence, and retaliatory attacks have continued with impunity, further threatening Burundi's fragile peace. Mr. Chairman, this killing must stop. Ending this crisis and restoring stability to Burundi requires leadership and it requires courage. Peace that binds all parties is essential for a return to a positive trajectory in Burundi. The United States remains seized with resolving this crisis through direct engagement. We are pressing all sides to stop the violence and commit to participating in the East African community-led dialogue process, which most recently convened last month. Additionally, the United States is supporting the deployment and important work of UN and African Union human rights monitors and continues to engage the UN, AU, and regional partners on contingency planning. Mr. Chairman, young people make up over half of all Burundian citizens and they are seeking education and jobs in ever greater numbers. Given the dearth of opportunity, however, they are particularly vulnerable to recruitment into militias. The US government runs programs with local partners to develop opportunities for young people, strengthen conflict resolution, monitor for hate speech, and promote peaceful messaging. If I am confirmed, embassy staff and I will continue to reach out broadly to strengthen these efforts and expand opportunities. Mr. Chairman, Burundi's fragile economy continues to deteriorate, increasing Burundians' health and nutritional challenges. The U.S. government provides $50 million annually in USAID-funded assistance program, primarily to the health sector. We have also contributed $86 million in humanitarian assistance for refugees and others affected by the current crisis. If confirmed, I will work to ensure that this assistance remains effective. I also would note that Burundi has made important contributions to peacekeeping, particularly countering al-Shabaab in Somalia. Finally, our mission in Bujumbura has performed admirably under very difficult circumstances over the past year. I look forward, if confirmed, to working with every one of our embassy staff, American and locally engaged alike, ensuring the continued safety of American citizens residing in Burundi and the security of our staff are my highest priorities. Mr. Chairman, if confirmed, I will bring the collective experiences of my 23 years in the Foreign Service to advance U.S. interests. I will also help Burundi's people restore their nation and their lives so that they export products, not people, and so that when the world thinks of Burundi and the center of Africa, we will not dwell on their fears, but will share with Burundians the promise of their hopes. Thank you. All of you. Ambassador Fossey, with regard to Chad, you mentioned protecting uh, U.S. business interests as a top priority. What uh, U.S. business interests are there in Chad right now? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We have um, U.S. business interests that's limited to the oil investment, the oil sector. Um, ExxonMobil and some partners are there. Um, they run the pipeline from Chad to Cameroon. With the decline in oil prices, however, the associated companies in the oil industry have largely reduced their holdings or actually left Chad. So the actual American business presence is fairly small. Thank you. And uh, with, in terms of the future, uh, uh, likely investment uh, 
likely in the, the oil and gas industry? Or? I think the oil and gas sector obviously depends on the price of the oil and gas around the world. If it does increase, Chad will have more promise in terms of partners. There are Canadian firms also in the oil sector as well as Chinese companies and others. There are a few other sectors. Most Chadians are actually engaged in agriculture. Uh, they raise cotton, they export vegetables, we provide assistance to help them do a better job with that. There Talk might about be USAID assistance uh, with regard to development and Yes, yeah, so USAID is engaged in a number of regional um, projects in Chad. We don't have a USAID presence in Chad. We have one representative, but not a standard USAID office as we do in many other countries. But we have regional programs, and one is a, a seed program to provide more resilient seeds to Chadians so that crops are more effective in that drought-affected country. Second, there's a cotton collective program for the surrounding countries, those that raise cotton, um, to promote the sale of cotton. So they're mostly regionally-based uh, agricultural activities from USAID, in addition to the countering violent extremism programs that we have there. Okay, thank you. Ms. Leonard, uh, the last panel, you heard them talk about sanctions. Uh, one of the panelists talked about UN sanctions and uh, really only being effective if they get AU uh, support first. The African countries can come together. You know, what do you see as part of your role there to, in this regard, for example, if we want uh, to impose sanctions on the DRC, UN sanctions, uh, your role in getting African uh, countries through the AU uh, to support uh, these kind of actions? Thank you, Senator, for that question. I listened to the exchange of the previous panels, panelists with great interest, and I, I noted all, not only their interest in the tool of sanctions, but their generally shared conviction um, that, uh, that sanctions as a tool works best when it is accompanied uh, by a very broad um, strategy and, and shared strategy. And I think that uh, what is in particularly interesting about our relationship with the African Union is the ability to help build regional consensus on the founding goals that are so near and dear to our own goals in Africa, namely uh, democracy and governance in the context of the conversation that you just had. Um, and I think that we're, you know, we, as I've quoted the president's words in my statement about uh, the, his attachment uh, to that issue, and you know, whatever the merits of an individual discussion, clearly, when uh, you know, uh, in a, if, if a government is um, de it is destabilizing insofar as political opponents are being attacked or aspirations are not met, and so therefore, this question of democracy and governance is very, very much at the heart. Of, of peace and stability goals that are dear to the African Union as well as democracy governance. So if I'm confirmed, I would very much see my role is, is helping to forge that consensus uh, so that we can, uh, the, the, way, the places where um, international efforts have been very successful in, in, in Africa has been, have been when the United Nations, the Africa Union, and international partners worked closely together to a shared goal. My previous posting in Mali was a very, very good example of that, one which did not include the, the particular tool of sanctions, but I think the larger point remains. And I would look forward to, uh, to interacting with the African Union on those issues. Thank you. Ms. Casper, the uh, government in Burundi has resisted efforts uh, uh, to uh, force them or encourage them uh, to engage in peace talks uh, with other entities and in regional peace talks as well. What can we do to, uh, to encourage them to move in that direction? What do you see your role being? 
Uh, thank you, Senator. Uh, a very important uh, question. The uh, having the Burundian government engage in peace talks along with all parties um, in, uh, in the crisis is, is critical to moving forward Burundi in the spirit and fashion that it needs to go. Uh, our special envoy, Periello, um, succeeded last month in getting uh, a range of actors to the table um, under the leadership of the East African community and, um, and um, uh, former Tanzanian president um, Mkapa and uh, that is an important step that has been taken and one that we will continue uh, to build on. We continue to, um, uh, if I am confirmed, I will work directly with, uh, with the government, the highest levels of government to continue to press them uh, to engage as well as all actors uh, that need to come to the table. Good. No, that's uh, it's obviously important. Uh, we don't want this conflict to escalate, and uh, so you've got an important role there. So, thank you. Uh, great. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman, very much. Um, Ms. Casper, if I can uh, come back to you and just follow up where the chairman uh, <clears throat> was uh, going in terms of this um, kind of Burundi problem state, which it really has become. Um, last year, uh, the president decided just to run for re-election, forget the Constitution, and to, uh, uh, to ultimately just begin to set a real trend, which we're seeing in Congo and uh, my fear is in Kenya and other countries um, in terms of just disregarding the Constitution. Um, the United States and the EU then impose sanctions. Uh, my question to you is how important was it that the United States and the EU impose sanctions on Burundi from your perspective? Thank you, Senator. Uh, it, it, uh, first of all, let me, um, uh, let me say how important I thought that the discussion we had in the last hour about sanctions was. Um, uh, and really in um, sanctions are part in Burundi of a broader uh, strategy that is ongoing. Uh, and, and that I think is a critical piece of this. So sanctions are one piece, but it's really part of a, of a broader package. In the Burundi case in particular, uh, sanctions have made clear that we, uh, the US government, are committed to holding uh, people who have engaged in human rights abuses and who are, uh, uh, who are threatening peace and security in Burundi that they are accountable. Uh, it is also important that we have implemented those sanctions impartially so that there are people on all sides of the spectrum who have been uh, sanctioned uh, and it's based purely on the abuses that they have committed. Uh, as I noted, it's part of a, a broader strategy including bringing people to the table, including the direct uh, outreach that um, that has occurred not just by the U.S. government but also by our regional partners, uh, the African Union, uh, the UN, uh, and others. And uh, finally, I would say I think it's important that people know um, generally that our uh, that our sanctions are targeted against uh, specific people, um, that they do not penalize the population in general, um, and that 
the United States government it stands uh, for the people of Burundi, not for any particular group. And really our, our main goal is to bring them back, uh, help them come back to the spirit of Arusha, the spirit of compromise and the spirit of peace. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Leonard, uh, the, uh, the AU has been very slow to put pressure on President Kabila to adhere to the DRC Constitution, and uh, the chairman and I, again, Senator Coons, we were at the AU um, when President Obama spoke very forcefully about the need to have an adherence to the constitutions of the countries of Africa uh, with regard to elections. Um, the AU has expressed support very dismayingly to President Kabila's, quote, national dialogue, which I think is just widely seen as just a, a stall tactic. Um, and so from my perspective, how do you explain the hesitancy of the AU to just cut right through this national dialogue and get right down to the bottom line, which is that he's trying to avoid having an election and he wants to perpetuate himself in office. So analyze the AU for us and why they're not stepping up. Thank you, Senator, for that question. Um, I think that uh, anyone who looks at, uh, the, at current events in Africa today and who understands the spirit of international coordination or regional coordination on peace and security matters as involving questions of prevention as well as solving problems looks at developments in the Congo and, and sees that, that that particular attention is, is, is very much required there now. I think the, the, it is often the case that um, you know, the, the African Union um, has, uh, is, is, has several, several sub-regional um, organizations within them. Um, and while it is often true that um, your nearest <coughs> neighbors are uh, best able to diagnose and deal with problems, it also creates uh, certain sensitivities uh, for neighbors as well. The idea of dialogue is not uh, something as a diplomat that I'm going to object to. I do think it would be useful, um, for example, the, to expand uh, th those discussions very much in the spirit of my previous answer to the question uh, that the world solves the prob problems best when the African Union and, for example, the United Nations are working together uh, to pressure sides in a, in a useful direction, uh, in a positive direction, in one uh, that does not raise the near-term prospect of, of dealing with later uh, instability. And that would be very much the spirit of my interactions with the African Union if I am confirmed. Great. Um, Ambassador uh, Posse, um, we had a hearing uh, last month where we we're talking about Africa, and I raised specifically a question about the sale of American combat aircraft in Nigeria with an arched eyebrow that almost hit the ceiling when I did so. Um, but I could have just as easily have been talking about our security partnership with Chad, uh, another partner in our fight against uh, Boko Haram. Um, can you talk? to us a little bit about what you think the appropriate balance is between governments that are just authoritarian, uh, such as we see in Chad, and our partnership with them, and the aid which we provide them, which sometimes sends the wrong message to, I think, the people in their own country and to the rest of the region. 
Thank you, Mr. Senator. It's a question I've thought a lot about. Um, I was ambassador to Djibouti where we also provided a huge amount of military assistance. We have a base there. Chad's, of course, very different. We don't have a military base, but we provide assistance, security assistance to Chad in order to help them combat Boko Haram, a threat to the region, and now with their affiliation with ISIL, a threat that goes far beyond West Africa, and in fact might reach other regions of the world. I'm, I'm, it is a challenging problem. I'm very proud that the U.S. government, when we give assistance, whether it's from DOD, the State Department, or whichever agency it comes from, um, includes human rights and other kinds of training for those we are training. We, in order to have uh, the, the human rights training, of course, helps soldiers and others, police, understand the basic um, requirements if they're going to be uh, using U.S. assistance wherever they're going. We do need to provide uh, military hardware or Chad won't be able to do the job that we've asked them to do, that they need to do. And I think we have to be careful about what we're giving, the messages that accompany it, and if confirmed, it will be a priority for me to reinforce, hopefully with the U.S. military um, that is providing so much assistance in Chad, training and other kinds of assistance, that while we're providing for your security, the goal is to have a better democracy in Chad and in the region. Can you just expand just a little bit, because I think it's important for these words to be heard, that Boko Haram has changed its name. Yes, And it's changed its name to, I heard you say it, um, it's ISIL West Africa province in yes. your verbal testimony. What is the significance of that name change? What does that mean from the perspective of regional security and a U.S. perspective of this metastasizing uh, ISIL threat in the region? Yes, thank you, Senator. I think it is a very significant change. It is uh, Boko Haram, in fact, um, just attacked uh, a small town, a city in Niger, and Chad has immediately dispatched 2,000 troops. So the name change, I think, shows that they want to affiliate themselves with something much bigger, much broader, um, an organization that has a reach into Europe and beyond. And I think it is, um, it goes to show how a group that once was thought of as just a threat to one country or mm -hmm. a small group has become the deadliest terrorist organization on the planet, killing thousands and thousands and thousands with relatively limited technology at their behest. Chad is, of course, very focused on regional security, and Boko Haram has tremendously threatened its economy, its trade routes, its ability with a limited economy that is very challenged to thrive. I think we're very lucky to have partners in Africa like Chad who are willing to be at the tip of the spear in dealing with this group, but um, I believe given its location, surrounded by many, many difficult countries, including Libya, that um, Chad will have many challenges to come, and we'll be working even more closely with them on security as we move forward. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, I, we appreciate uh, uh, your being here and for having this confirmation hearing. Appreciate the family for being here as well. Hearing record will remain open until Friday again. If you get questions uh, from other members who, who aren't here, if you could please answer them as quickly as possible, it would be appreciated. Uh, thank you again for your willingness to serve, and uh, thank you to the family members for being here and for enduring the uh, hearing before as well. So uh, appreciate it, and thanks for your service. This hearing is adjourned. <laughs>